From Relay FM, this is The Pen Addict, episode 138. Today's show is brought to you by lynda.com, where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com slash penaddict and penchalet. Great deals on high-quality pens with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined, as always, by the man of a plan, Mr. Brad Dowdy. Hey, bud. How's it going? Very good, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And uh, I, I'm especially excited because we have a guest today, Mike. We do? Yes, we are, yes. We are, branching, we are branching out. And uh, we, are, uh, we have a non-pen-related guest, but is a totally pen-related guest. And this is something that you and I have talked about and all our listeners are into. And it's the man behind Everyday Commentary, Mr. Tony Scullumbreen. How are you, Tony? Hi, Brad. I'm good. Well, thanks for joining us. We really, really appreciate you coming on, and we're going to pick your brain to death, and you're going to uh, laugh at us uh, today with all the uh, the dumb everyday carry questions we have for you. Nah, it, it, anything's good. Anything's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're going to school us today. That's the that's the plan. You know, me and Mike have been talking, and Mike even mentioned it. I think when we do it, we did our bag dump episode, Mike, or something, and you wanted to know. We need to talk about knives sometime. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk about knives because... I was actually shocked to hear you say that. Well, just because there seems to be this, like, crossover. We'll talk about this. But there seems to be this, like, crossover between pen nerds and knife nerds. So, like, I don't want one, but I'm just interested in, in understanding. Like, I don't have, like, a, a real desire to buy a knife. But I just want to understand, like, what is the kind of the correlation between pen nerds and knife nerds. Um, and also, like, I'm more interested, you know, I, I spoke about in my resolution. One of my resolutions for this year is to, to, to kind of to perfect my, my everyday carry. So, Tony, Tony is the man. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know about that, but I can help you. My, my job here is to, to proselytize and hopefully convince you that you should carry a knife. <laughs> I feel like I actually, I don't know what kind of the the like the laws around that kind of stuff are here really. Yeah, that's something that's something we'll definitely talk about because I have questions about that too. Okay, so and, and and Tony's a lawyer, so he can answer all of these questions, right, Tony? No, no. Actually, the one thing I would have to say is I probably can't legally give out any uh, advice. I could say like <laughs> consult your local knife laws, consult a lawyer. But it, I would get in trouble if I got if I gave out like actual legal advice. So That's I right. could give you advice about like steel choices, but I probably <laughs> couldn't like solve your search and seizure problems. If con- <laughs> if consult your local knife laws is not the title for this episode, I don't know what's going to be the title for this episode because that is like just incredible. Consult your local knife laws. That is just <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> yeah, so, well, it's the. It's a disclaimer I have to put on like all different kinds of stuff, you know, because like every state in the United States has a different set of knife laws. And then ordinances, local town ordinances are different. So like you'll go into a town that'll have like Boston or New York City has especially restrictive knife laws. And so you could be in upstate New York and catch a train and board the train with something legal and exit the train with something illegal. So it's complicated. That That's like the, the big disclaimer I always have to put on stuff that I write, like Consult your no- local knife laws. <laughs> this is going to be an amazing episode. So nerdy. <laughs> All right, so I got I have one thing I want to cover real quick, Tony, before we get into it. And um, a little bit um, behind the scenes last week, Mike. I'm gonna I'm gonna give up our uh, our behind the scenes chat last week when we ended last week's episode. We talked um, a lot about the um, I, I guess kind of our main topic was how many notebooks we're carrying and. We talked about a bunch of other different topics during that episode, and both Mike and I stopped recording that episode. We hit stop, and we both go, "That was terrible." It was like we both felt we had we were we weren't on our we didn't bring our A game last week, and I think it was a lot of it. We had some technical difficulties throughout the show, so we were both frustrated and a little bit disjointed. But Mike, I got to be honest with you, I don't know that I've gotten more feedback from a single episode than we got on that episode about Why? talking about notebooks. Why does this always happen? Like I never, <laughs> I'll never understand. I feel like every bad podcast I ever make to, and ends up being the good ones. Like, and I don't know why that is. Like, maybe I should just stop trying and then become like the most successful podcaster in the world. That's right. What so me think? and you, 
we were equally frustrated. We both were very frustrated at the end of last week's episode. Like, we just didn't do a good job. You know, we want to do a good job for everyone and, you know, make sure we put out a good episode. And both of us, without even talking to each other, felt the exact same way about how it turned out. I cannot tell you how much feedback we got for that episode. So that's why I have no follow-up in this episode. And next week, we'll just do an entire follow-up on that notebook episode. Wow. Because I have that much to talk about. I, I it's easily the most feedback we've ever gotten on a single episode. Wait, unless and, unless the feedback was the show was terrible. I mean, you haven't. No. It. Okay, just checking. Like no. you sound like we got so much feedback, and everybody universally hated the episode. <laughs> no, no, it was it was every everyone telling us about their notebooks, and I want to say that we are on the low end of the notebook uh, carry scale by far. Oh yeah, yeah. So. So everyone who I told we're going to talk, uh, we're going to follow up on all their emails and comments that they sent in for that episode. Look uh-huh. for that next week because that's a good, that's an entire episode just on following up on what everyone does with their notebooks. So, man, that's what I wanted to bring up for that. Um, so let's get into it, Tony. How about that? Before we do, we we want to talk about one of our our good friends and sponsors, Mike. Yeah, let's just start off the show real quick by thanking our friends over at lynda.com. lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business. No matter what you want to learn, lynda.com can help teach you. Maybe you want to learn uh, some new skills. Maybe you want to invest in a new hobby. Maybe you're looking to find a new job. Anything that you're looking to learn more about, lynda.com's experts can help you. All of their courses are taught by people that know exactly what they're talking about. And they are adding new courses every single week. And you'll get access to all of these along with the huge catalog of thousands of courses that lynda.com has. You get unlimited access to every course on lynda.com once you sign up. And you'll even get unlimited access in your 10-day free trial too. You'll be able to watch these on your computer, on your Mac your PC, or you'll be able to watch them on your tablet or mobile device with their apps for iOS and Android. We've spoken about a couple of times the fantastic design video that Aaron Draplin did for lynda.com. That's just a, just a taste of some of the incredible stuff that you can get. Maybe you know you maybe you want to learn some art skills, some drawing skills, some typography skills. They have all of those courses. But maybe you just want to learn how to do better at your business or maybe to improve your skills in the workplace, like team management stuff. Maybe you want to go paperless. Maybe you want to learn a bit more about getting things done. Maybe you want to learn about Photoshop, Illustrator. Maybe you want to make your own podcast. They have courses on all of this and so much more. I could sit here for 20 minutes and talk to you about all the different courses that lynda.com has. But let's save us both some time. Go sign up for a free 10-day trial right now. Go to lynda.com slash panaddict and sign up right now. Not only will that help you learn something new, it will help support this show. Thank you so much to lynda.com for supporting the Panaddict and Relay FM. Thank you, lynda.com. I already feel right. like I'm back in shape from last week. I feel like I'm, yeah. I'm knocking it out of the park already, Brad. So this All episode's right. probably going to be terrible uh, if, no, that's, I, if that's how that works. you know. I think there's like some seriously good energy going on in this episode. And uh, I, I know Tony well enough to know how good he is at this. So I, I'm fairly confident that this is going to be one of the greatest episodes ever. So no pressure, Tony. <laughs> no, no pressure. No. <laughs> if, if Mike's copy read is any indication, this is going to be a hard act to follow. <laughs> like you do the best copy read, it's crazy. It's, it's, yeah. all, it's all locked in my brain, man. He's the man. It's so He's professional. Man. All right, so Tony, I want to start this conversation around everyday carry items at the very, very basics, just to kind of lay a groundwork for what we're going to talk about uh, and the crossover that we have between like the pen addict type stuff and the stuff you write over at Everyday Commentary. And just to tell everyone, listen, this is probably going to be a show notes heavy episode, so you're going to go to want to go to relay.fm slash pen addict slash 138 if you want to play along as we go. So you can see uh, Tony's site, everydaycommentary.com. We'll have the links to all that in there. But I, what I want to start out with is I want you to kind of describe the basics of everyday carry and what that means to you and and what, you know, for people who don't know what we're talking about at all. People that listen to the show to, you know, to hear about, you know, fountain pens, how does this apply to them? So give us kind of the basics of everyday carry. Well, so one of the things that I think about is like the idea that people carry stuff with them all the time. Like everybody has a wallet, everybody has a set of keys, almost everybody has a phone. And so like, when you think about it, everyone has an everyday carry, they just don't call it that. And so 
what happened was there was sort of a couple of things that happened. First, there were guys that carried pocket knives forever. I mean, my grandfather still carries a 1923 Queen Congress that his dad had. And when I was in college, I worked at a warehouse on a military base and I had to cut open boxes. So I carried a pocket knife with me those two summers. And then I realized like, wow, this is really useful. And so I, I, I added that to the stuff that I carried every day. And that was like in the 90s. And so it didn't really have an acronym. The acronym itself actually came from a response to uh, laws in the United States around concealed carry weapons. So CCW was a concealed carry license, a concealed carry weapon. And so people wanted to say, like, look, this is the stuff I'm carrying every day, but it's not a weapon. And so that's when the acronym EDC came about. And there were two guys that did a lot of work, like, getting it out there. One was Bernard Capelong on the uh, everyday-carry.com, which is now Mm -hmm. everydaycarry.com. And yep. then the other guy was um, uh, a guy named Dan who, over at Blade Reviews, who reviewed one of the first like systematic knife reviewers on the internet. And he's actually on my podcast, and he is a super, super knowledgeable guy. And so Bernard sort of took this slant that like, no, no, it's not just a knife. It's like the stuff that you need. And so the way that I think about it is like, I want to take that like core set of things that I carry, my wallet, my smartphone, my keys, and add you know three or four things to it and be able to handle you know, all of the little things that come up in life. Like my son gets a toy and he wants it out of the box or, you know, the doorknob on my front door jiggles. So I want to be able to fix it. And, you know, it's just about having things that are convenient, that are really well designed, really sturdy, so that you can take them with you and solve problems. And then in the in the off chance that you have an emergency, like your car breaks down or the power goes out, you'll be a little bit ahead of the game. Um, a lot of guys carry sort of there's like two it's like a spectrum and on one end of the spectrum there's the guys that carry guns and while I'm glad that I live in a country that lets me carry a gun I don't carry a gun I probably never will and on the other end of the spectrum there are the guys that have you know like a knife to op, uh, to sort of offset or help out with their pen and I'm in that category so I'm a trial lawyer so every day I use my pen probably I would say that on average I use my pen between 3 and 5 hours a day and then the other three hours of the day I spend driving, which is why I can listen to all of the uh, Pen Attic podcasts at least three times. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just like a a small set of things that that you use to offset the the problems that you face every day. And you're like I said, it goes back. My grandfather was the one that was like, you know, you got to carry a knife. Like, I don't know why you don't carry a knife. It's going to help you out a lot. And I was like, eh, that's kind of for old men. And, you know, then I then I carried the first knife that I carried was a Spyderco Delica and it was so much lighter. It was probably, you know, a quarter of the weight of my my grandfather's Queen Congress. You know, Congress is like a big old fashioned knife. It has metal bolsters at both ends. It has four blades and it weighed a ton. And then I put the Delica in my pocket and it was thin and it was flat and it was easy to open with one hand. And it was just like, you know, this is a different thing altogether. And then since then, I've just been you know, modifying or paying attention to what I carry, you know, like a lot of the times the stuff that I carry is stuff that I've modified myself, you know, like the F701 pen, the zebra pen, mm-hmm. that pen is a great pen, but the, the refill is garbage. So you can mod that pen and have it take uh Parker style refills, which opens up this whole array of, uh, you know, refills that are really good. And so, you know, just a little bit of extra weight, maybe, you know, like, I, I carry really minimal. Like, there's a lot of guys that carry, like, you know, three 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 knives, two flashlights, extra batteries. I'm a guy that'll carry, like, a pen, a knife, uh, a tiny flashlight, uh, a really well-organized thin wallet, a really well-organized keychain, and that'll be it. So I, I'll probably take the normal, you know, wallet, keys, phone combo and add another six ounces and then be ready to go out for a hike or go to work or, you know, do whatever. Right. And this is why I wanted to talk to you so much, because I think what you do or, or what you what you're a proponent of as far as as the everyday carry type of gear really applies to a lot of people that listen to this show. Right. We're not like into, you know, our group of fans is not into like the super tactical, you know, crazy type of stuff. This is like very practical, useful literal everyday use type of stuff and and that's why I, I really wanted to get you on it and and pick your brain about this so um you know here's this is a 
there's my there's my Delica, my Delica Four, my Spyderco. That was my first like uh, kind of decent knife, if you will. So and and I want to start there. So let's start with the pocket knife because this confuses Mike the most. Um, All right, fundamentally, <laughs> I don't I don't know why you'd need to carry a knife with you every day. Like I can't think of any time in my life where I'm like ah. I wish I had a knife right now. It just doesn't happen. So, like, why? Why <laughs> Why a knife? I don't get it. All right. So this is, this is the explanation that I, I give to the people that I work with. Because I, I, I work in an office. <laughs> when with... they're like, Tony, put down the knife. No, guys. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> no, they've gotten used to that. Yeah, like, I, I have all the review samples sent to my office because I don't want them to, you know, get misplaced or get wet or anything. And so, like, you know, I'll get a, a, a nine-inch buoy knife sent to the office. And people are like, what is that? So they've gotten used to it. And the way that I explain it to the people that I work with, all of whom are like very, very liberal, is I basically say to them, having a knife on you is like owning a truck. You do things when you own a truck that you wouldn't even conceive of when you have just a car. And so like, you know, just like you would never take home, I don't know, a sheet of drywall when you own my car, which is a Subaru Impreza. If you have like a an S10, you'll take you'll take not one or two sheets of dry home, you'll take, you know, five or six. And it just it changes the way that you approach things. And it's hard for people who don't have experience using a knife to be like, oh, why do you need that? But once you have it, and that's what happened to me, like I had to carry one for my job, and then it was really hard for me to give it up when my job ended and I went back to college. And so it was just like, oh, like, okay, so I can I can open this package of, you know, like my son uh, really likes uh, little gummy dinosaurs. I can open this package of gummy dinosaurs with my teeth and then spill them, or I can tear the package and it falls all over the place, or I can take out, you know, my um, my Leatherman PS4 Squirt, which has a tiny pair of scissors, and just snip the end off of it. And not only does it not spill everywhere, but he can pour them into his hand. And so it, it's it's really sort of I don't want to say it's a mindset because that's kind of silly, but it is something that once you have it, it changes the way you approach. Uh, you know, problems and tasks. So that that's why that's my pitch for why you should carry a knife. Maybe not a knife. If you if if knives are not comfortable, or if that's something that you don't want to carry, you know, like the Swiss Army knives out there, and then you can get them anywhere, especially in America. You can get them at like Target. They're legit. Like there are guys that have you know two or three thousand dollar custom knives, and they still carry a Swiss Army Knox, uh, a Swiss Army. Victoria Knox Alox Cadet, and it they're great, great tools. I mean, they can, you know, like an Alox Cadet can get you through a ton of things. You know, like I, you can cut open a bag of uh, gummy snacks. You can re, redo the door handle as you walk out the door. You can pop open a brew at the end of the day. It's it's a really great kind of thing to have on you. So that that's my pitch for why you should carry a knife. Yeah. So my my pitch, I I get asked, you know, from time to time, and my pitch is, well, I live in Georgia. That's what you do. So that that's my reason for carrying a knife, because, I mean, you see it. it I mean, you see it everywhere from the, the grocery store to church to to, you know, <laughs> the most formal to the most uh, informal events. You'll see guys walking around with knives clipped in the into the into their pockets. And I do find that, you know, my use case is is different than most. You know, you think being, you know, a computer techie guy, you know, sitting behind, um, you know, a Unix terminal all day. Um, doesn't really need the, doesn't really need to be carrying a knife, you know, especially at the office. But like this weekend, I worked on cabling all weekend and I used my knife and my flashlight all weekend long, you know, just trying to, to get my work done more efficiently. So it's useful in those cases. Do I use it every day? No, but I carry it every day just, you know, just in case. So Tell us what makes a good knife, Tony. What what are you looking for in just like your basic knives? Like, you know, you just, you know, something that's, you know, readily available. We're going to talk about some high-end stuff, you know, and some crazy stuff later on. But just, you know, your basics, like what are you looking for in just your your standard pocket carry knife? So there's really like two different classes of folding knives. There's traditional folding knives, which are like the Queen Congress that my grandfather has. And they usually have like, you know, stag handles, bone handles, and they're typically really heavy and they have what's called a nail nick. It looks like a little slit in the metal blade where you put your nail in and pull it up. Um, and those are good for everyday carry, but you have to be, those are sort of like more knifey knives because they're not as easy to open. They're not, they don't have a lock. You have to have some sense about how to use them. 
for uh, like somebody that's just starting, I would say that you want to get a knife that has a device that lets it open with one hand, that has a pocket clip, and that weighs less than four ounces. If you get a knife over four ounces, it's just, I mean, and I, I, I'm going out of the way of telling you this right now. I have very minimal, very light requirements. There are guys that will regularly carry an eight ounce knife, but I've just found that it's, it's inconvenient. It smashes up against stuff and it really hampers, like, um, I go outside with my son a lot and my son and my wife and I go hiking probably twice a week. And if I have an eight ounce knife on me, I feel like I'm tired afterwards. So four <laughs> ounces is probably the, the max that I would ever carry. So a clip. Uh, one-handed opening, a lock, and then under four ounces. Those would be my three re- or my four requirements for somebody just starting out. Do you see why this can be a, a problem, Mike? Has, we, we talk about fountain pens. Do you listen to him talking about this and, oh, <laughs> and yeah, going? And yeah. it's it's like it's it's insane the similarities that you know a guy like Tony and I have in just how we approach things. You know how we look at a pen or look at a knife. And how obsessive we get, but it's more just, it's almost like second nature at this point where you just kind of have this feeling, you know what you want, you've been doing it long enough and you can kind of, uh, and Tony always freaks me out. He just rips all these things off, like all these, you know, these different, uh, phrases and terminology that we use for fountain pens he uses you know for knives and flashlights i'm like i have to look up these terms half the time tony when i read your blog you know like oh, uh choil and uh jimping and uh, <laughs> no, but yeah. so, this is part of it though because we do exactly the same like exactly when you're getting into something like this and you're going to people that are like deep within it you know they this is kind of just how people talk like you talk in the terms that you know like it's just it's interesting for me to hear because i know now how like you know like when people hear me talk about this stuff and like i don't even understand why you would need a pen like that like i'm I'm listening i'm like i'm listening to the like the way that you guys are talking about knives right and i appreciate the the like the reasoning that that you kind of give for it but it's like to me it's just like i can see them i think i look at them and like they're beautiful objects but i would never carry a knife because mm-hmm. it is just not, it's just not really something that you see people do here. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know why that is. Like, there are people, the pe- like people carry knives in like um, Swiss Army knives or in Leatherman's, you know, because it's like, yeah. it's sure. a thing. It's a thing. It's not just like a blade. Because it's kind of, I don't know, there's like, a, there's, there is a slightly different culture here to, to things that could be uh, seen as weapons. You know, because obviously right. I I can't imagine that either of you are like carrying a knife so you could stab someone if you needed to. Like that's not <laughs> never like never. A, yes <laughs> you could, but that's not why you're doing it. You know, like in the same <laughs> right. way that I could take a guy out with a fountain pen, right? I'm sure I could find a way to do it, but it's not the purpose, right? But so, <laughs> but like, but here it's kind of seen slightly differently, and I think there's a bit more of a taboo around it. And of course, there are going to be people that write into me and tell me that I'm wrong, right? Which is fine because because there are people that will carry knives in the uk but i think it's it's less uh it's less common i think yeah no yeah, I, under- I i think i can see that my understanding was that there was a to the the uh, there's essentially a gun uh, very heavy gun restrictions in the uk and then and this is just my understanding from doing research for articles that after guns went away that it was like the sign of being a thug or a gangster that you carried a tool that was just a knife in the uk it was like um, yeah yeah Knives, okay. knives are like for that, you know. Yeah, it's a perception thing. So yeah, yeah. All right. So the one question I have about knives. And oh, then I just we're so, get sorry. Into... I just I just thought I would bring bring in there because I'm on the government website. Our government website is amazing, by the way. It's very very good. Somebody redesigned <laughs> it like recently. They got this awesome design firm in, and it's so easy to find anything. So it is illegal to carry a knife in public without good reason, unless it's a knife with a folding blade, which is three inches long or less for example, a Swiss Army knife, carry, buy, or sell any type of banned knife or use any knife in a threatening way, even a legal knife such as a Swiss Army knife. Lock knives, knives with blades that can be locked when unfolded are not folding knives and are illegal to carry in public without good reason. The maximum penalty for an adult carrying a knife is four years in prison and a fine of 5,000 pounds. Oh my God. So the good reason... Uh, sorry guys i'm giving you so much information now but good reasons for carrying a knife examples of good reasons to carry a knife in public can include taking knives you use at work to and from work taking knives to a gallery or museum to be exhibited 
The knife is going to be used for theatre, film, television, historical reenactment, or religious purposes, e.g. the Kirpan some Sikhs carry. A court will decide if you have a good reason to carry a knife if you're charged with carrying it illegally. And then it has like a list of all the t- other types of banned knives. But So you can get the idea, it's basically illegal to have a knife. Mm. Right? Those are some pretty hefty restrictions. I will say that Spyderco makes a line of knives called, and they, they all started with a single knife called the UKPK, which stood for the United Kingdom Pen Knife. And it was designed to meet with, uh, to meet the requirements that you just laid out. So if, if you're in Great Britain and you want a really fine uh, everyday carry knife and you just want it to be simple, the Spyderco UKPK should work. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the knife. Yeah, so you, there you go. You can see why then like specific knives exist uh for the uk because we have such restrictive laws over it and i think it's just because they're like i don't know why like what what the fundamental difference is and why it's there but just tools that can be that can be used as offensive weapons in this country are illegal you know like guns you know so yeah just the way it is so there you go that's why it's so weird to me guys because i never (laughs) see them And by the It'd way, be like if I had like a Tommy gun to go hunting, right? You know, like a Tommy gun <laughs> has a really specific connotation in American culture because of all the gangsters and gangster movies. So like no one has a Tommy gun. You know, the people have that exact same gun without the the barrel, the drum barrel um, clip, but no one has that gun because it just looks so weird. So I guess it's the same thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, Mike, you're going to have some challenge uh, for the for the show title. I'm watching the chat room and I'm cracking up here. <laughs> So this is going to be a, a, a tough challenge. So I want to, the the big nerd question I have about knives is I want you to tell me the basics of steel types because this is the part where my eyes start to glaze over, and you know I know I'm the same way about fountain pens and how I can talk like about the details of a nib and the specifics and just if you're like looking at a knife and just you know your basic knives, uh, your more common knives, how. What are you looking for as far as steel, and why is that important? Well, so, okay, so steel is like a, a rabbit hole, and it's just like nibs. Like when you talk about the Japanese nibs and the German nibs and the gold and the rhodium, it's exactly the same kind of rabbit hole. But And I want to mm-hmm. say at the very beginning, like I fashion myself as a steel junkie. That's what people in the knife world call, in a derogatory sense, people who are obsessed with steel. But there are guys out there that way, know way more than I do. Like Cliff Stamp knows a lot. A guy named Joe Talmadge knows a lot. There's a guy that runs a knife company named Mike Stewart, and he knows a ton, as does Sal Glesser, who, is, who runs Spyderco. But basically, steels, think of it like plotting on four axes. And the, the rule is you get, you get three, but never four. Um, so the first axis is price. Uh, steel is a combination of iron and other elements, and the other elements give it various properties. And so you can get a really great steel, but it's really expensive. And so that's the first axis. The second axis is hardness. And steel's hardness means that the steel is resistant to deformation. And hardness is really helpful because it means you have to sharpen your steel or you sharpen your knife less. And it also means that you can put a higher angle on the cutting bevel, which will give you better slicing action than you would otherwise. Um, Then on the other side, sort of in balance with that, is toughness. And toughness is the ability for steel to um, resist chipping. So it'll bend instead of break. Um, and you, the best way to think of the hardness and toughness is hardness is like a diamond where it's really, really hard, but if it gets hit by an impact, it'll shatter. And toughness is like taffy, where I could take a bat to to like taffy, and as long as it's not frozen, it won't break the, the bar of taffy. It'll bend it, but it won't break it. And then the last thing on this four axis is um, corrosion resistance. And oftentimes that just means it's resistance to uh, water or like to getting stained by water. In reality, there's a bunch of different things that cause corrosion. And um, the best steels are corrosion resistant to virtually everything. Like, Brad, I remember you had a uh, Spyderco Dragonfly in H1 steel. And H1 steel is a really, really corrosion resistant steel developed um, for uh, marine environments. So it's resistant to water and salt water because salt water is a little bit worse than regular water. So there are steels that will that will be really tough, really hard, and really corrosion resistant, but they are incredibly expensive. In fact, the one steel that I can think of is actually not technically a steel because it has no iron in it, and it's called Nitinol 60 or SM100. And it, it will do everything you ever needed to do except for the fact that it's probably between 10 and 15 times more expensive 
than even the most expensive steels that are out there. So th- that's yeah. sort of the the four things you're looking for. And you'll often get like three of the four or two of the four. And in an everyday carry knife, you don't really need it to be that tough because it doesn't have to, you're not going to be chopping through a tree with it like you would with like a, a fixed blade for outdoor use or like an axe. So in my opinion, the way to best spend your pennies is to get a hard steel that's corrosion resistant and like M M390 is a really good steel in that regard. Uh, 20CV is a really good steel. Uh, my personal favorite steel is a steel called ZDP 189, which is a steel developed by Hitachi in Japan, and it is exceedingly hard. It has more carbon than even high carbon steels, and um, it has a huge amount of chromium, which makes the steel resistant to staining. And it is, in my opinion, and I, I know there are lots of people that disagree. It's the perfect DDC steel because you can get it. You can get it really, really super sharp, and it will hold an edge forever. And while it's not the toughest thing in the world, it will chip. Um, if you're careful, then you'll be fine. Like I'm not. I'm like gonna like you know debone a chicken because if I hit bone, it'll probably chip it. But everything else, it's fine. It's really great for uh, general utility tasks. All right. So that is that's a total rabbit hole. The I now have more questions about steel than I did when. <laughs> When we Sorry. started, but Sorry. at the at the at the risk of having a five hour episode, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna pivot real quick and let's let's move to flashlights because this is where like I'm okay on knife basics like I I get it I understand kind of what I need and you know I found some things that you know work best for me flashlights I've carried uh just one little flashlight it's a it's a Phoenix l1t it's uh i've had it for a few years and it's just a good little flashlight i'll carry um in my backpack and like i use it this weekend you know for hours but what makes a good everyday carry flashlight and what are you looking for as far as you know functionality in the lights that you carry well the first thing i'd say is that up until about 10 years ago it was definitely not worth carrying a flashlight every day because uh, while I find that myself that I use a uh, a knife more than I use a light, if I was going based on how much it weighed and how big it was, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have carried, maybe 15 years ago, I wouldn't carry it a flashlight. But now we've gotten to the point where emitter technology, which is the bulb in the front of the flashlight, coupled with the, the little microcomputers that exist inside the flashlight, they've gotten so efficient that you can run a um, really small flashlight, like one the size of your pinky, you can run it for an hour with you know a hundred lumens, and that's that's really good. So the the things that I would look for in a flashlight are the battery format, and in my opinion, um, the emitter technology has gotten to the point where most people for everyday carry don't need a battery, uh, don't need a flashlight that has two cells. You could get a single cell flashlight, like um, a single double A or a single triple A or a single um, CR one twenty three, which is like a, a lithium battery that it's used in cameras. And that that will do pretty much whatever you need. And then the second thing that I think is really important to look for in a flashlight is you want to look for the emitter. And emitters come in like a, a huge like alphabet soup with numbers, and it's just really confusing. But the, the better emitters, the, there are a couple right now, and they change, like emitter technology changes as fast as computers can because the emitters are generally constructed in computer programs to maximize output and balance heat and that kind of stuff. So like right now, the XML2 emitter is a really good high-powered emitter for like big lights. Um, the XPG2 is a really good emitter for like regular everyday pocket lights. But if I was going to say, if I had my choice, the number one thing, the number one emitter right now is called the Nichia 219 emitter. And the reason why is it's a little less bright than the other two I just listed, but it has a really high color rendering index. And that means that the light it produces is truer to sunlight. It looks closer to sunlight. And this is really important to me and to a bunch of different people. Like I remember when I was first, when I first had my son and I was changing his diaper and I was always trying not to wake, like not to get him like really riled up. But you know, when, when you have a little baby, you got to check to see if they did something that woke them up. And it was always easier to do that if I had a a light and if the light was you know not super bright but had good color rendering and so, so how the, much how much did your poop checking flashlight cost uh that's that's uh <laughs> well so like you could get yeah that's really crazy but you you could get away with like a, a you know like a 25 dollar poop checking flashlight right now 
at the time it was pretty expensive. I had a, I had a, a custom light to do that. So it's silly. It's really silly, exactly. but. And that's why we love you. And that, oh, man. <laughs> and that's why we have a podcast called The Pin Act because that's like normal usage for people like us. It's just what you do. <laughs> I, I feel so, like I'm at an intervention or something. No, that every week on at Monday at 5:30 is an intervention for us. It's mm-hmm. like you we talk about this stuff and it's like, "What did we what were the words that just came out of my mouth?" <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, Tony, so talking about all those specs on the flashlight what are you looking for for like not the necessary your starter flashlight but for a good all-around flashlight what are you looking to spend and are there any kind of brands that you look at just for kind of these these base level flashlights that give you everything you were just talking about the crazy thing is that like the flashlights in the past three years have gotten into this arms race and it was started it started by a company called phoenix uh, f-e-n-i-x and Phoenix basically came along and they took bodies and uh, clickies, like the, the button you use to turn the light on, and emitters that Surefire was using. They produced them in China and they dropped the price you know, to 25% of what Surefire was. And that, that basically was like a, a starter gun going off. And since then, we have gotten to this arms race where you're getting more features, better performance at a lower price. And so... The lights that I, I really like, there are a couple brands. One of the brands is Eagle Tack. Eagle Tack makes a bunch of really good lights. And um, they do make tactical lights, which are giant and weird. But they also make really great lights like the D25 series. I've had a D25A in titanium, and it was really great. And you don't need titanium. It just looks cool. And then I'm testing right now for review a D25 AAA with a Nichia 219B emitter. And it's it's a $30 light that does pretty much everything you'd ever need for everyday carry. Um, if you want to spend a little bit more, um, there are a couple of brands that I like that make nicer stuff. Um, Surefire makes really good stuff, although their lights are very, very tactically centered, and they're they're bigger than an equivalent light. Like You can get a really small CR123A light, but Surefire insists on making these big giant lights, but they're really, really well built. I mean, you can like run over them with a truck. Um, another really small brand that's good is Malkoff. Malkoff used to make only drop-ins, which were the emitters. You could pull out the guts of your flashlight and put in a Malkoff, and it would make uh, it would upgrade your light's output and make it better. And then the the final brand that I recommend if you were going to go uh, and spend like this could be a light that you could have for the rest of your life and do everything you need is HDS. HDS makes some really amazing really robust lights. I mean, these lights are designed to be, you know, you could take them caving, you know, like there are a couple applications for flashlights where it's like, you cannot have them fail, like caving and underwater diving. And I don't, I don't recommend HDS for underwater diving because I don't think they've been pressure sealed tested, but in terms of its impact resistance, its resistance to pressure, its heat sink, uh, an HDS rotary will do pretty much everything you'd ever need it to do. Everything you'd ever need a flashlight that you carry on your person. Um, there are, you know, four sevens makes really good mid price lights. They have a lot of features that people like. They have good uh, emitters. Four sevens upgrades their emitters probably between four every four and six months. So they're right on the cutting edge of emitters. But Eagle Tack, Surefire, Malkoff, HDS, four sevens. I mean, those are all really really good brands. I'd steer clear of, of Streamlight because their stuff is like stuck in the dark ages. But that's the stuff that people can get. Locally, like if you go to a Cabela's or you go to an REI, you might run into to Streamlight. I just steer clear. Phoenix is also a really good brand. The light you have, Brad, is a really good, a really good, easy to use light. And like the E05 from Phoenix is a great one AAA battery flashlight that is excellent for everyday carry. Well, just listening to this, I, I definitely need to step up my underwater diving flashlight <laughs> carry game. Yeah. <laughs> but can I get an underwater knife though, Tony? That's what I don't want to know. Hey, you that's can. the corrosion. That's the corrosion part. <laughs> yeah, in fact, there's there are two companies that make really amazing under well, there's there's one steel and one company. So Mission makes only underwater dive nights, and they're hmm. they're usually all titanium, so they don't set off like a landmine or a water mine. Uh, a depth charge, I think, is what they're called in the water, and they're they're completely one hundred percent corrosion resistant. Even the screws are titanium. And then there are a couple of companies uh, that use that SM one hundred, which is 
a, a metal material, a metal that was developed by the Navy in the 1960s. And it is as hard as any steel. It is 100% corrosion resistant. And it is so tough that if you heat it up, it will return to its original shape. It's like uh, something from oh. X-Men. So yes, mm. you can get an underwater knife if you wanted one. What would something like that cost you, just out of curiosity? Oh, so I think Strider, Strider is a company that makes like really high-end tactical knives. And I think that they had a run of SM100 Striders. And I think that they started at 28 or $2,900. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, the steel, the, the SM100 is really hard to, to get, and it is very, very hard to, to, to heat treat because when you apply heat to nitinol 60 or SM100 to the, the trade name, it reverts. It wants to go back. So what you have to do is you have to first set the shape, then you heat treat it and hope that it doesn't want to go back to the previous shape. And then you have to grind it. It's just, it's a massive, massive ordeal. It's much more difficult to use than regular steel. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. All right. So we're going to get into, we're going to get into the, the great crossover product here. And that's, that's pins. But before, before we do that, we want to talk about another one of our really good and actually uh, very timely sponsors, our friends at Pin Chalet. Pen Chalet sell authentic, amazing rollables, fountain pens, ballpoints, mechanical pencils, and so much more, and they're here for us again to sponsor the Pen Attic Podcast. Pen Chalet have all of our favorite brands like Pelican, Lamy, Pilot, Namiki, Sailor, Caveco, and many, many more. They're an authorized dealer of all of these, and, and, and Pen Chalet provide awesome, fast, and reliable customer service. They're always running discounts. They have great special deals all the time. They always have special offers for Pen Addict listeners. I'm going to tell you about a couple in a moment. Pen Chalet also sell limited edition pens and pen accessories like carrying cases, pen holders, refills, fountain pen converters, and so much more. They sell internationally with very reasonable shipping rates, and of course, they sell in the continental United States with free shipping on orders of over $50. Pen Chalet has low prices on high-quality pens and offers a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So go to penchalet.com, and you can buy anything at Pen Chalet and use the code PENADDICT to get 10% off your order. But what you really want to do is click the podcast link at the top of the website on the homepage and enter the password penaddict for access to even more savings as well as some exclusive savings as well and there's a couple of things i want to draw your attention to today so there was something that me and brad noticed on pen chalet before we started and that's the caveco art sport fountain pen now these are some limited edition cavecos with absolutely stunning effects and these are acrylic versions right brad yep yep they're acrylic pens and I was surprised to see these, to be quite honest. I get lots of questions. I've reviewed one in the past that Caveco has sent me. Uh, it was a brown tortoise uh, art sport. And they've never been really, really widely available. And I get emails about once a month. Hey, where can I find an art sport? And I'm like, I don't know. You're really kind of out of luck. And Mike and I stumbled on this uh, today, actually, that um, Pinchalet has about four of the colors in. And I'm shocked. They have the um, the Akashir, which is the kind of blue, excuse me, the black and white swirl. Um, they have the lapis blue. They have the roset red. And they have the granite. These are not easy to come by. And I'm curious that they're on here now. I'm wondering, are they starting to sell more of them or or is this something that uh Pinchalet was just able to get a hold of in a special run but this is kind of a big deal for people that are looking for the art sport line um it's such a good upgrade to like the classic um the regular molded plastic barrels that the uh Caveco classics come in these art ones are really really beautiful the one i have was stunning i actually sent it to uh our friend uh Anna at Well Appointed Desk as a gift, and because uh, I knew she would like it. And these are just—I'm really, really shocked to see this. And the price um, right now is what? It's eighty-one dollars, and went another ten percent off with our Penatic code, Mike. Is that with how pen, it's yeah, with, with the Penatic code, you can get one of these Caveco Art Sport fountain pens for seventy-two ninety. So that's yeah. after you get the discount by going to you know going up to the top, hitting the podcast button, typing Pen Addict. And you go through that, and then when you put the pen out code in at checkout, so you get seventy two ninety. But I also have another exclusive, Brad. I don't know if you know if mm-hmm. you know this is happening. Um, we can get you can get twenty five percent off a Pilot Custom eight twenty three. 
Oh yeah. So that, that's an amazing pin. That's a va- that's a Pallet's vacuum filler. That's a uh, that's a big boy pin. Um, that's a lot of people's uh, Grail pin. The eight twenty three. It's a really really beautiful one. I know Ed Jelly has reviewed its uh, pin before. I do not own one of these, but it's been on my radar for a while just because it's a super beautiful, highly functional with the vacuum filling system that gets rave reviews. Um, a lot of people uh, swear by this pin. This is their one and only pin. So the custom 8823 is, is an awesome deal. So you can usually pick one of these up at retail at $360, but from the Pen Chalet for Pen Addict listeners, you can get one for $243, which is 25% off, which is an incredible discount. So go to penchalet.com. Support them, support us. They're great guys. Thank you so much to Penchalet for continuing to be so awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm stumbling over myself here because I, I can't believe they have the art sports. That's uh pretty fascinating. I'm gonna have to give email a Ron uh, Ron an email and see what's up with that. So that's very cool. <laughs> I can tell you have to give email a Ron. You know, you're struggling <laughs> over there, but I am struggling. I that's not something you see every day, so um uh I will be taking a look at that further. All right, so Tony and I uh, did something cool. It's been, gosh, it's been like a year and a half or so now since we we did this, and when we, you know, kind of started talking, um, you know, when Tony was starting his blog, and we were kind of going back and forth about pins. He wanted to try out the Pilot Vanishing Point because it looked like it would be kind of a good pin for his his blog. You know, his readers might be interested in something like that. You know, the the retractable and usefulness of uh, the vanishing point and he was offering up one of the you know best knives you know probably ever made i you know i'll let tony explain it why it's so special a little bit more but it's a chris reeve uh sabenza 21 and he sent that to me to review so we kind of did this uh we did this swap where you know i reviewed one of his knives he reviewed one of my pens and I got huge, you know, feedback on that. Everyone loves seeing that knife review. And I know the the vanishing point, uh, you know, kind of be- became a thing for you on Everyday Commentary. And you ended up getting one finally for Christmas, right? Yes, I did. I did. I really did. I was, that pen was like beguiling. I just could not get it out of my head. <laughs> I had to buy one. Um, so yeah. the, 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 the whole idea was like, I, I was trying to find a, a pen that was sort of, had the same, um, I don't know, what's the right word? Had the same sort of gravitas as the as the uh, the the Sabenza Twenty One, and your your review of the Vanishing Point just like I said, it was entrancing. It was something I had to buy, and so I thought like, oh, this would be really awesome. I want to I want to send you my one of my favorite knives ever made, and and you, you were kind enough to send me your Vanishing Point. Although I did, I still feel bad for losing that piece. I, <laughs> So any, here, let me let me explain real quick. Any of you vanishing point owners know that when you get the vanishing point, at least like in, in my black mat black mat model, um, you know they're easily made for cartridge fill. But since there's a retractable button on it, they give you that little um, that little metal sleeve that goes over the plastic, so you don't eventually break through the plastic. Not that I would ever think that would happen. Um, when Tony returned that pen, um, that piece might have been missing. Uh, in in the return package, and uh, what happened there, Tony? I I thought that the the piece was like, um, you know, how, like when you get some of the cartridges, like if you get like the I just got them today. The Sharpie comes with like a the Sharpie cartridges come with like a little cap on it. And I was like, wow, this mm-hmm. is like a fancy pen. Even the cap has it. Even the cap is metal. I just pitched it. I was like, oh no, that's not right. It's so dumb. Yep, hit the trash can. But it, uh, it's almost an unnecessary. Um, unnecessary piece uh, of the pen so yeah not a big deal even remotely and if you have more than one vanishing point they you can swap it between them but i'd I'd rather use that piece anyway i just usually set it aside so no worries there so what what did you think about the vanishing point well so the, the thing is like i i write so much for my job that my hands like if if i do a trial a trial will start at 10 and it'll end at four and we take an hour break and then there's usually a, a potty break in the morning and a potty break in the afternoon. Um, and so I'm writing for two, maybe three hours. And it's even worse if you do a deposition, like in a deposition, I've had, I've had six or seven hour depositions and you know, it, it's just, it's an immense task on your hands. And when I was using rollerballs and ballpoints, it would kill my hand. And so I eventually switched over to using fountain pens for those things. And the vanishing point, most of the fountain pens I had, I was either, you know, the cap was breaking or was getting crushed. I mean, like, 
I travel so much, I go into really tough places. Like, it's really hard to write in the secure psychiatric unit. There's just not a whole lot of places to, to write. And, you know, so, like, my pens would get destroyed. And I was worried that if I had a cap on a fountain pen, it wouldn't last. So a retractable fountain pen seemed perfect, but there's only like two or three out there. And none of them have the, you know, like I said, none of them have the gravitas that the the vanishing point did. So when you gave me a chance to review it, I was like super, super pumped. And then I just kept trying to figure out a way to get one and like set aside the money. And then finally Christmas came and I was like, up, done. I'm done. I got to buy this. (laughs) And I've used it every day since. It is wonderful. Yeah, so... When you sent me, when you wanted to do this, I was like, I still don't understand what's the deal with this knife and why do I want to try it? And then once I got it in the hand, I was like, I get it now. I understand. And like, if you look at a picture of this Chris Reeves Sabenza, the 21, you'll say, looks good. You know, you know, seems okay. And then, you know, I tell you it's going to run you, what, $350, $400, right? Is yep. that about what those yep. run? Yep. Um, you'll be go, wow, really? And it doesn't seem like that. But then you get it in your hand and you flip it open and you lock it. And then it kind of like that puzzle starts to get put together. And you're like, I understand now why this costs what it is. And then you read more about how it's made and you're going, I see what the big deal is. And when I compare it to, you know, like some of the spider codes that I have, I see why, you know, this one's a hundred dollars and then this Sabenz is 400. And it, it really kind of grabs you and fascinates you. Like with me, you know, I refer to it like discovering like a Nakaya pen. That's such a high end pen. But then when you get it in your hands, you're like, I kind of get it now. It, you know, it makes sense why these things cost this much. Um, just from that fit and feel and finished, it's hard to relay that in pictures and words, right? Until you can get that into your hand and into use and using it for what it's made for, then it kind of starts to add up and you're like, I get it now. So it's, it was a really eye opening experience to be able to borrow um, that knife from you. And uh, I, I just thought that was a super cool thing that we did um, to, to do that, to do that switch up. And, you know, I think we'll end up both costing each other money because that's probably the next <laughs> ni- next knife I'm going to buy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this events is really a, a really an unusual thing. I mean, it, it's it's now in its 25th year of production, which for a knife is really unheard of. I mean, there are a couple knives that have been in production for longer, like the Buck 110. But the Sabenza did things that no one else was doing. And then the things that weren't totally new, it just killed everybody. I mean, Chris Reeves' uh, factory, the, the machines that he has, he's dialed them in so that the tolerances exceed the aerospace industry tolerances. You know, like... When you look at, and I'm sure you know this from like your technical job, Brad, like when I was working at an audio store, everybody wanted six nines copper. And that meant that the copper was 99.9999% pure. So six nines copper. And like his tolerances, you know, his machines will go out, you know, not a hundredth of an inch, not a thousandth of an inch, like 10,000th, the hundred thousandth of an inch. And that, that level of fit and finish gives you a feel in the hand that is impossible to describe in video. You can't take a picture of it. It's really hard to write about, but when you have it, you know it. Yep, yep. And that's what I realized with, you know, that Sabenza or with a Nakaya fountain pen or something, you know, that, you know, is honestly, you know, uh, um, I don't know, it's it's not a, necess- a necessity, you know, but it's awesome. It's an awesome to have kind of thing. And it really changes your perception on a lot of things. So that was really cool. I'm, I'm glad we did that. So besides, um, besides the vanishing point, give me, give me the rundown of like what other pins you use, because you're a real heavy user of pins. And you know, if you're not using a vanishing point, what, what's getting it done for you on a daily basis? So today I did some, we're having our second baby. So we're, we're nesting and I'm, I'm doing a lot of home repair and like fixing up the room and stuff. So today I carried a, a Sharpie, the, the metallic bodied Sharpie pen. It's mm-hmm. a great, it's a great marking pen. It works well on wood because I can sand it out. It takes like maybe one or two passes on my sander to take it out as opposed to some of the other pens that like leach into the wood. But if I'm at work, uh, you know, like I have uh, this thing, I have this product 
that's really important to me and it sort of defines the status of my pen so like if you're lookout status then that means that you're in my uh my uh Nakako lookout which is uh <laughs> the uh the pens that are in there right now are my Max Magco bold action pen my oh, such um, a good pen uh vanishing point and then my Prometheus Writes pen nice and uh, They've got me covered. So, like, you know, when I'm when I'm in a, a a rough and tumble place and I need to write, I have a pen that can write on, you know, uh, cinder block walls. Uh, the Max Madco pen will do that. Yep. And I I have a Fisher Space Pen refill, and I swap it out when I'm not in rough and tumble places with a Schmidt Easy Flow Nine Thousand refill. And then I have the um, when I when I want to impress somebody, I have either the Vanishing Point. Or the Prometheus Rites. And and both of them are really unusual. I mean, the Prometheus Rites looks like a, a blaster from the 50s. and you know, Yeah, it's a stunning looking po- pen. Yeah, and the Vanishing Point looks like nothing else. And when people see it's a retractable fountain pen, I had a guy that's like this famous, very famous, very wealthy lawyer in the part of the country where I practice. And he's a huge fountain pen. I mean, he's the guy that has like, you know, one or two or three you know, $1,300 Mont Blanc uh, fountain pens on him. And when I showed him the fountain pen, he was like, whoa. I don't know. <laughs> so it, it, if I can get a whoa out of him, it was uh, it was really nice. So those are the three pens I use on a pretty much everyday basis. And like I said, they've got all of my bases covered. Vanishing yeah, that- Point is a much more interesting looking uh, much more interesting looking pen than any Mont Blanc I've ever seen. Because all Mont Blancs, you know, to a point, they all kind of look similar, you know. Or they look like every other kind of luxury pen, mm-hmm. but the vanishing oh, yeah. point, like that, there's something about that. Like it's just got this thing about it, you know. Yeah, and no one's been able to mimic that nope. at all. Nope. I Lamy, mean, Lamy have what the Dialogue Three, but it doesn't. Right. It does. It's not as good. It doesn't look as good, in my opinion. Like. Right. I own a vanishing point because I just love. I just love how it looks. Like that's that's it, man. I just love the way that thing looks. I yep. actually like the clip part. Like, Mike, I know I've listened to the podcast enough. Like I said, I think I've listened to every episode three times. I like the way that the clip is put at the end because my my grip is is perfect in that position where it is like the it gives it like a teardrop profile. It works sure. perfectly in my hand. So, see, I don't know if it's a lefty problem um, for me, uh, but it, it, it's, it makes me sad because like I always wanted one, and and, and I still think like. The vanishing point has the ability to be like the perfect pen for me, but it's just that clip, man. It 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 yeah. makes it really uncomfortable for me to use over long periods, and that's just not that's not a winning pen for that reason for me. But I know why it sits atop so many people's lists. It just makes perfect sense. Yeah, it it it's pretty nuts. Um, Tony, I'm gonna get you out on one last topic, and. You know, I hope I didn't throw some uh, grief your way the the other couple <laughs> weeks. <laughs> I didn't mean to sick my uh, readers and listeners on you, but it was kind of funny at the same time um, because we're we're actually on the same page in a lot of things, and I, I love how you wrote this article. But there is an item that you wrote about called the Cool Fall Spy Double O Seven, and are we calling this a flashlight? Do they call it a flashlight? What? Let's let's talk about this product and give us the background on this light and then blow our minds um, about what it is and what it does and what it costs. Okay, so the guy that that designed this flashlight, he's a guy named Dave, and all of the flashlights... <laughs> he's, he's a guy named Dave. Guy named Dave. <laughs> guy named Dave who uh, hung out on a forum called Candle Power Forums. And Candle Power Forums is for flashlights what fountain pen network is for fountain pens. Right. And what happens in these places is that there's this sort of arms race to make like the most outlandishly awesome thing ever. So there'll be like a, a special edition pen with, you know, a rhodium nib or something crazy. And then that, that same thing happens in flashlights. And so what, what had happened was this guy, there were a couple of makers that made really good flashlights and a guy named Don McLeish, who goes under the name of Magizmo? He sells really high-end flashlights, and a bunch of people. You know, like Don would Don would put out an, uh, a message on his message board on the forum saying, you know, I'm going to release a new wave of flashlights, and they would sell out in like you know 20 minutes, and he would sell out you know 50 500 flashlights in 20 minutes. Boom. Are so, people just buying because it's his name? Like you know, they will just buy it because they know it's going to be awesome. 
Yes. Oh, yeah. They would buy, buy him because they're... And then, you know, like, his lights can do things that other lights... Like, he does a lot of uh, diving, like, uh, underwater diving, and his lights can are really good underwater because they're all titanium, and he double seals them, and he pots the electrics, which means he, like, mounts the circuit board and the emitter electrics electronics in, in a, a glue or a resin. Um, so he would sell those things out really fast, and it became clear after about three years of him doing his thing that there was room for more, that there were people out there that were willing to pay more than $500 for a light. And so this guy, Dave, is one of probably one of the greatest machinists I've ever seen. I mean, he can do things with a CNC machine that just blow your mind. And so what he did was he designed a light and he basically rethought the light from like ground up. Like he took every single part and said, how can I make this better? And like one of the things that's really interesting about all of his lights is that Instead of having it be like a tube, it kind of looks like a Zippo. And at the top of the Zippo, there's a, a, a big cylinder and a little cylinder. And the big cylinder is the emitter head. And the little cylinder is a knob that you use to turn it. And the only way to describe the knob is if you've ever used a crown on like a Rolex or like a Breitling, and it's really, really smooth and you can feel the detent, but it's not like snappy or locking you in. That's the kind of feel that you get on on one of these rotary knobs that turns on the light on a on a cool fall light. So he produced this light called the Spy 005, and it was clear that he was going to make another one. And the 005 originally was released in an aluminum body, and then he sort of went back to the drawing board once he saw that there was demand and people bought the 005, and he said, "I'm making the 007. This is it. This is the one I want to make." And he spent about 18 months prototyping this light and. This light is an incredible piece of electronics. It's an incredible piece of machining. Um, you know, like it's the the body of the light. Everything except for the head and the rotor is one piece of solid titanium. And he sculpts it out inside and outside. So the battery tube is integrated into the light. It's all one piece. Um, and then there's a, a cover. And the cover even is innovative. It, it attaches and it has a double O-ring seal. And it has these two standoffs that you sort of drop down. And then once it gets to a certain point... It sucks in, and then it's, you, you have like a little final snap and snaps into place, and it's it's really locked in there. And um, you know this light is is crazy. It can it can reprogram itself. I mean the the manual is on CPF, and it was a like a user generated wiki type manual. And people are finding things on this light that you can do that are just crazy. I mean you can it has eight output modes, and you can go you know super super high, and you can have a you know output with the new emitter that is basically the brightness of a a car headlight and you can go super super low you can set the the light to be you know as bright as a match so you can preserve your night vision and you can set it anywhere in between you can even do you know totally different things like instead of having eight output modes you could have one output mode instead of having you know it come on you could have it come on as a strobe you could do all different kinds of things and then he made a bunch of accessories he made like a, a little uh, carabiner it's like a it's really crazy it's like a 200 dollar carabiner then he machined this chain link titanium, like it looks like one of those uh, chains for like um, a pocket watch. And that's compatible with the light. And then the last thing that he made that was an accessory was called the, the Dragonfire Nozzle. And what it is, is it's an aspheric lens that you put over the emitter head and it has a platform on it. And the lens focuses the the light to a point where it's capable of lighting things on fire. So if you need to have like a... <laughs> A fire starter on your flashlight. You buy the <gasps> that yeah. what? Whoa! Yeah. No <laughs> way! Cool. Yeah, it's really cool, and and you can see it. He has a YouTube video where he uh, uh, lights paper and then lights fabric. So it, it's it's an incredible piece of machining. And I mean, like the optics that are necessary to do this are just off the charts complicated. And it's it's all this. It's all fits in your coin pocket on your jeans. So it's it's really incredible. But the problem is. The 007 is $1,300, so it's it's a ludicrous expense. It's not a rational expenditure, but I think if, if you have, if you're as bad a flashaholic as I am, then <laughs> you have no choice but to buy one and at least try it. And I got a really good deal on it, so I don't feel terribly guilty, but it's it's an incredible, and it's an incredible thing to have. Yeah, so this thing is, it's computer Here's programmable, right? Flashlight. I found this Boom. YouTube video. And several of the prototype yeah. pieces. Of the dragon, I'm trying to see it. I'm trying if to find this to now. Take the platform off. Gonna light stuff on fire. It's like a. It's like a. I'll put this video in the show notes. But it's like a. Looks like a like a stove 
thing. Yeah. Oh my yeah, word, yeah, yeah. and now it's on fire. <laughs> it's so crazy <laughs> awesome. It's so crazy awesome. <laughs> like really, everybody out there that does EDC, what they want, what we all want, is we all want a lightsaber. Because it both illuminates things and cuts things. And the Spy yeah. 007 is as close as you get. Uh, well... $1,300 for a lightsaber makes it sound cheap then, doesn't it? <laughs> right, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, that uh, that review was awesome. I think I read it at least two or three times. I, I just kept reading it over and over because it was so fascinating. It was really in-depth. And, and I couldn't actually, because I didn't know that anything like this was possible, right? I mean, this is way, way out of my wheelhouse. And, like, this actually exists, and someone is sitting there making this, and it's, like you said, it's a guy named Dave, and he's coming up with this with this stuff. And, you know, we see some of that in the pin world, too, with, you know, guys making custom pins and doing great things and having, you know, killer filling systems and kind of really pushing the envelope to what, you know, some of these mainline retailers um, don't. And that's what's fun about this, right? Being able to, to play around with this cool fall Spy 007. Or, you know, me playing around with an Edison Menlo, you know, pump filler. That's just, you know, things like that are just really, really cool. So I'm, I'm, glad, you, I'm glad you wrote that wrote that review. And uh, I, I hope I didn't send uh, too much grief your way. <laughs> once oh, I, oh, there once was I some sent out that link. Yeah, once I sent that link out, everyone was like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> it, it's pretty funny. So, um, Tony, we... We're going to have to get you back on because we could, I mean, I feel like we're just scratching the surface on, on all this. And, um, you know, I, I think we'll wrap it up for today, but I imagine, you know, as much feedback as we got last week, I think we're going to hear it this week because, uh, you were, you were awesome on the show and we really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on today. Well, Brad, this has been so much fun. I, I cannot tell you how many times I've been trapped in a blizzard in New Hampshire, driving three hours away to a prison listening to you and Mike talk about, you know, crazy things like Mike worrying about putting silicon grease on the threads of a pen or, <laughs> uh, you know, the the stories and customs. It's just really great. And Mike, in particular, I really want to say that your decision to do this full time was really inspirational. And it is it is great to know that there are people who are rewarded for doing good work. So you oh, do great thank you, work. buddy. Thank you so yeah. much. I appreciate that. All right, Tony, tell everyone uh, where they can find you online. So you can find me at everydaycommentary.com. You can find the podcast that I do, which is um, a very hard R. So just be prepared. Uh, and you can find that at geargeekslive.com or geargeekslive on iTunes. You can find me on Instagram, where I begrudgingly post probably once a day at Everyday Commentary. I'm Everyday Comment on Twitter and then on the forums I'm usually Rawls, and I have a YouTube page where you can see uh, gear overviews and other random assortments of things. Awesome. All right, Mike, get us out of here. There's a bunch of links that you can find uh, in the show notes today, and you can find those over at relay.fm slash penaddict slash 138. If you want to find me and Brad online, you can find Mr. Brad Dowdy is the at Dowdyism. On Twitter, he is at penaddict on Instagram, and he writes the fantastic penaddict.com. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E. I want to thank our sponsors again for this week's episode, Linda, and also our friends at Pen Chalet. They're really great companies who help support this show. And thank you all for listening, and we'll be back next time. Say goodbye, Brad. Goodbye, Brad. Say goodbye, Tony. Bye, Tony. <laughs>